Ion 2020 episode 151. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey guys, it's Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion 2020, doing your post-debate show, and uh, it's, uh, you're going to be getting this thing released at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, I am recording it just after the debates are over with, and I did take a bunch of notes. Uh, actually, I instead of writing them down this time, I actually used my computer. It was so much easier. I felt so much better. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I never write anything, hardly ever. Uh, because I'm always using a computer, I'm always using a laptop or an iPad or whatever, and I don't do a lot of writing, and during the last three debates, I literally grabbed a notepad and a pen and sat there and, and took notes on this debate, and it was the stupidest thing I, stupidest thing I could have done, because I just uh, started, pulled out, you know, a word, a word document, and just started typing what I thought about these particular, you know, the things that were going on during the debate, I sat there and just took some notes, and... It turned out pretty well. I have lots of good notes for you. So here goes the show. Uh, but hey, guys, I appreciate you listening to the show. I really do. Seems like I get lots and lots more people listening to the show whenever there's these debate shows. So I appreciate anyone that comes and listens to these debate shows that I do as well. Uh, if you want to, you can go and subscribe to the show and you'll hear more of the commentary that I have on the issues of the day. Uh, going forward about the 2020 elections. Uh, if you are interested in the elections, you might as well go ahead and subscribe because I'll g- bring you some good information, not only just libertarian topics. I always talk about the campaigns and their issues and so forth. And at least you can hear a new perspective, right, if you're not a libertarian. But I appreciate you joining us, and go ahead and subscribe to the show, all right? And if you've been listening for a while, go ahead and give me that five-star rating and review. Uh, those things really do help with these algorithms that will get me listed if uh, someone searches for like you know presidential debates or pres- 2020 election or if they type libertarian podcast uh, that'll help out as well all right if you'd like to follow me you can do that uh, just type in ionthempire.com and uh, you, if you type it in like on Facebook or on Twitter you'll also find me there as well and you can follow my pages on Twitter and on Facebook also and also the website uh, if you'd like to you can drop me some emails as well you can do that at ray at ionthempire.com I love to hear your stories I love to read and communicate with you guys uh, communicate with quite a few of you guys and it's really enjoyable knowing that you guys enjoy my show and that you continue to come back and listen uh, listenership continues to go up and that's awesome so I appreciate that I really do uh, but yeah this debate uh, Last night, I made sure I was drinking the whole time. This time, I did not. I just wanted to do it with a sober mind, but I went out for, I'm actually working, and uh, was, I'm staying in a hotel tonight, so I went out for some food, had a nice burrito and stuff. I'm in, Mar- in a town called Marion, North Carolina, which is kind of in the mountains, and I uh, grabbed a burrito and went some, for some beer, had some local brews and stuff uh, beforehand, but then came back to the hotel and uh, just kind of hung out and drank some water and watched the debates, and it was painful. It really was. The most painful part, though, 
is uh, is listening to Michael Bennett talk. And I don't know if you guys listen to the debate, but maybe just YouTube the guy, okay? Michael Bennett, man, this guy, when I listen to him talk, he's actually the senator from California. And he has the goofiest voice. And I hate to make fun of people for things like that. But you know what? I'm going to anyway. He, he has the weirdest voice. If you ever heard... Uh, on Ferris Bueller, I think I said this on one of my shows before. If you listen, if you watch Ferris Bueller, remember when he was trying to get his girlfriend out of school for the day? So he had his buddy call Mr. Rooney, and he's uh, he's on the phone with him, and the voice that he's using as his dad's voice, Mr. Rooney, Mr. Rooney. That's exactly how Michael Bennett sounds, and it's just so hard to listen to him talk because he talks very slow. Uh, it's hard to follow his conversations. He's so low energy. It's just, and no passion whatsoever. It's really hard to watch him. And I don't even know if I'm going to talk about him for the rest of the show because of this. Because he is he is clearly the one that is not going to be around after the debates, after this round of debates. I guarantee it. He probably got about 50 bucks raised for his campaign and everything. But I, I put down the notes. I said, uh, when I listen to Bennett, I already want to shoot myself just because I'm watching the debate, but when I listen to him talk, I want to shoot myself and then jump off a building because it's so hard to listen to him talk. It is painful listening to that guy talk. So that was the that was the hardest part of the debate. Uh, the other hard part was just sitting there listening to these people talk. But this was actually, in my opinion, a slightly better debate than the last night's debate because last night's debate... They really were able to focus on this huge division between the socialists, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and the other ones. So I think that they, the other ones that are a little bit more middle ground. So I think that the moderators did a good job in kind of differentiating them. On this one, though, everyone was trying to figure out ways to attack, attack Joe Biden. And to be honest with you, Joe Biden, to me, he seems like he came out unscathed. After this debate, I don't think that anybody really was able to hit him hard enough and get that Harris moment from the last debate. Like that that moment that they had in the last debate with this busing situation. I'm sure you guys might have heard about that. Um, but Harris went from like 6% in the polls to 15, 16, 17% in some of the polls after that. And she was pretty much declared the winner of those debates because of the way that she went after Joe Biden. But this is what happened with Kamala Harris. So they all did their opening speeches, and she just came out flat. So a lot of these people, they were just going after Joe Biden, but it just came off flat. And he, I think he was more well-prepared for it this time, right? I think that he really, I think maybe the last debate he came in, he was kind of like, yeah, I'm the front runner. I don't have to, you know, I just don't have to lose, right? That was his, that was his goal. But on this one, I think that he realized, and that the people that are around him realized that he needs to be ready to, uh, to really take off the kid gloves and, and go after these people. Uh, and he didn't really go after them, but he was able to defend himself. He was able to uh, challenge people back on a lot of the a lot of their issues as well. And it, it helped him out a lot. I don't think that he won the debate overall. I don't, you know, but I do think that he, he came out unscathed. He did not hurt himself at all. That's all he needed to do is not hurt himself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so let me, let me get into the actual debate. So it started off with the opening statements, right? And 
they said something to the, or they, they had Joe Biden talk and he said that he's running for the, you know, for the soul of the country. And he had a really good opening statement. He, it came off as a very moderate guy. It came off as someone that's running to be the leader of us all and all that stuff. And actually that it came out pretty good. If you want someone that's a normal politician, it sounds great. Uh, if you're looking for someone that's going to beat Donald Trump, it sounds great. Right. And, uh, that's about it. So anyway, Oh, the one thing that I noticed right as the debates were starting. So, uh, Joe Biden spoke, they, they went through everybody. Everyone got to introduce themselves, but before all the introductions, there was like a, the first part of the commercial that showed all of the candidates, but I swear they left Tulsi Gabbard out of it, or maybe they just gave her a few seconds. I'm not sure, but they went over all the nine candidates and it seemed like they left Tulsi Gabbard out of it. So I'm not sure. I, I doubt that's true. It just, I didn't notice it. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention to that second that she was on. I'm not sure. But um, there was just this one commercial where they showed all the candidates and they, you know, went over each of them for like, you know, 10 or 15 seconds. And then when they did the Star Spangled Banner, I was just thinking to myself, so all of them have their hands on their hearts and they're all doing the, doing the Star Spangled Banner and, you know, Joe Biden's up there kind of like melting it and acting like he's singing and all that. But all I was thinking about some of them was like, are they just going through the motions? Because all of them in their minds, they think how terrible this country was when it first got started, right? During the founding of the nation and into the, you know, the slavery days and all that stuff. They're just like, oh, these people are terrible and they're all slave owners and they're terrible people. And I wonder if that's what they're thinking in their minds. I'm not sure. It just, that's what kind of crept into my mind when I was listening or watching them do the Star Spangled Banner. That's just me being critical. That's all. Um, Kamala Harris, they gave her a chance to introduce herself, and her microphone was messed up, and that kind of uh, that kind of stinks for her. I mean, there was like a little, little bit of an echo, and it sounded it sounded terrible. But her the her introduction about herself, her little thirty second commercial or, or one minute commercial about her campaign and why she should be elected president, it came off flat. It count, came out confusing. It didn't seem to make sense too much. It, there wasn't. It didn't seem like there was a lot of effort put into that first minute. And everyone, you have to have a really good opening message. And it doesn't sound like she even tried hard. And there just wasn't a lot of passion in her voice either. She seemed tired. She seemed like she's been exhausted. She seems like someone that's been out there campaigning hard. And now she's just tired and needs to get some rest. I don't know if any of y'all feel that way. I'd love to hear your opinions on it, actually. Um... <clears throat> excuse me, maybe go ahead and uh, if you can email me and let me know, or maybe when I post this thing to Facebook, you can let me know as well. You do that by going to I and the Empire. I just type that into Facebook. And when I post this on Facebook, maybe just maybe respond with how you felt about her as well. If you watch the debate, I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> Kirsten Gillibrand, she's a senator from New York. She seems like a nice lady and everything, like, you know, nice lady and all. Uh, but she doesn't seem to me very presidential. Like, Kamala Harris comes off as, like, if she's going to be the first woman president, she would probably be, like, a pretty tough woman, you know? Kirsten Gillibrand just doesn't seem like that um, too tough. Right? She just seems like a nice lady. She seemed very scripted when she was talking as well. Then you had Tulsi Gabbard. She actually did not even bring up the anti-war issue for the first two hours of the debate, which was kind of weird, I thought. Uh, since that's supposed to be her thing, but I wonder if the reason why she did that is because she doesn't want to sound like a one-trick pony. I'm not sure. She talked about patriotism and 
you know, all that during her opening. Andrew Yang didn't even wear a tie. That's pretty good. I think I think that's pretty pretty ballsy of him not to wear a tie. Uh, everyone else looked very politician-y. He kind of just looked like the guy that's out there with, with no tie on. You know, he had, a, he, had a, he had a sports coat on and button-down collar and all that, but no tie. And uh, his opening basically talked about his $1,000 a month, which uh, he actually, every single time he had a chance to talk almost, he came back to the idea that, Everyone should get a thousand bucks a month. So I'm going to refer to his thousand bucks a month on a regular basis during this uh, during this show because uh, he just kept on talking about it as well. Then you had uh, Michael Bennett. He's the senator from Colorado. He just heard what I felt about him. He's just uh, he's just a weird. He just sounds weird to me. I don't know. Um, no passion whatsoever. He just. I mean, he might be passionate. It just doesn't come out. Like he has no emotion. He doesn't show emotions very well at all. Uh, Julian, Julian Castro, housing, housing Secretary under Obama, uh, he spoke about some issues and everything. He he just sounds like he'd be a great cabinet member one day if one of these guys gets on. And then you got Jay Inslee, Wash, or governor from Washington State, immediately started talking about uh, introducing himself as the guy that's going to go after the climate issue and all that. Talked about getting 8 million good union jobs and clean energy and all. Uh, Bill de Blasio, he talked about a message of hope and $15 minimum, that he got a $15 minimum wage in New York through. And this is what I thought as soon as I said that. I got a $15 minimum wage into New York City, right? Like, New York is very expensive to live in. So a $15 minimum wage is kind of like having a $8 minimum wage probably in, 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 in South Carolina where I live. So, I mean, that's not a big thing for him to get a $15 minimum wage in New York. Uh, it just doesn't seem, I mean, that, that, he, he doesn't have a leg to stand on, on that. I mean, it's New York City, probably most ex, one of the most expensive places to live in America. And uh, he's talking about $15 minimum wage, whatever. Um, but and he also said, we will tax the hell out of the wealthy. We will. I will not be afraid to tax the hell out of the wealthy in my administration. Wow. Like, he is going after some uh, the idea of Going after, going after the rich, you know, class warfare essentially, which uh, I don't know. I mean, terrible, terrible idea. Being a libertarian, I just think that the government should stay out of people's business in the first place, and the government has really has no right to your property. And uh, if you manage to get it and you have lots of it, you, they shouldn't be able to take it as either. But then again, um, if there is cronyism involved in that, then I don't. Then maybe they should just work on the cronyism and not work on just taxing the hell out of them. I guess. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he said that. So that, that that was interesting. Cory Booker from New Jersey. Um, when I was when I was when they showed them lined up, man, he is tall. He's he's the tallest guy on the stage. Bill De Blasio is the next tallest, but he's like a big dude. I always thought he was kind of like a scrawny guy, but definitely not. I mean, that, but you only whenever you see him talking, he's either sitting down or he's uh, usually you're seeing his face. But when he's standing next next to other people, it really shows how tall he is, and he's just a big guy. Uh, but he focused on. He actually did a good job in this debate, focusing on Donald Trump as the divider in chief and you know he's the one that's dividing the people and he focused on Trump the entire opening message that he had and also um no one else mentioned Trump at all on that stage except for Cory Booker which was, which was really interesting to me that on their opening statements nobody mentioned Donald Trump I think that Cory Booker had the best opening 
statement of all of them, and that's from a from a uh, from a liberal perspective, liberals' perspective, or how I perceive a liberal would be looking at it. But Cory Booker came out on top from those, and then I think the second best uh, from that perspective would have been like Joe Biden, just because it came off as like very presidential sounding and you know bringing people together and all that stuff. Uh, that we're a strong country when we're, you know. We're a country that is strong because of our diverse, diversity, not despite of it, and all that stuff. I mean, it was just it, they were pretty good, but those are the two that kind of won on that. Uh, the topics that they covered were interesting. They're actually the same exact topics that they covered in the same exact order, almost as the last debate as well. Um, the main point of the topics that I found uh, is that everyone just kept on trying to go after Joe Biden on these on these issues. So Harris, they started talking to her about healthcare and the um, the fact that she has a plan that's going to take 10 years to get Medicare for all for everybody and all that stuff. And uh, everyone's like, 10 years is too long. Biden says we shouldn't take 10 years, but what Biden wants to do is perfect Obamacare anyway. But they kind of went back and forth. Um, nothing too powerful, though. Biden was able to defend himself. Harris was able to defend herself. And I don't think anyone really came, up on, came out on top on that. Um, but... Biden did have a lot more fire tonight, and he also seemed way better prepared to handle those things, whereas last time, I think it caught him off guard when Harris went after him on that particular issue. So, uh, de Blasio, he said that he, that people, he said, the reality is, is people hate their insurance. I've never met somebody that doesn't want better insurance and all that. They want better insurance. But to be honest with you guys, have you ever met anybody that doesn't want better anything? I want a better mattress for my bed. I want a better phone. I want a better TV. I want a better car. I want a better vacation. I want better health insurance. I want a better job. I want better money. Like, nobody says, oh, yeah, I just, I want worse health insurance. I want a worse car. Nobody says that. So when he says, yeah, people hate their insurance and they want better insurance, duh. I mean, that, that's that's not bold to say that. Um, but anyway, then Gillibrand talked about, uh, she like tried to play this uh you know, this fear tactic and this emotional thing where she took her kid to the emergency room, but she wasn't worried because she had great health care. But some parents, when they're going to the emergency room, they're worried about whether they're going to get denied the ability to go to the emergency room when their kid's sick and hurting and has an emergency. But that doesn't happen in America. It never happened in America, actually. I think uh, in the 80s or something, Ronald Reagan passed a law that says that health or that if you go to an emergency room, they cannot turn you away by law. But it was a rare thing for people to get turned away from emergency room in the in the first place back then, you know, just because you didn't have health insurance. And uh, it, it, the law, I mean, what what candidates always do is if there's a band marching towards them, they kind of jump in front of it and act like they're the leaders of the band. And that's what these guys are trying to do. And that's what Ronald Reagan essentially did is uh, he just kind of, they just kind of threw a law out there that says that uh, these hospitals can't turn people away, but they never turn people away anyway. I mean, there was not like an epidemic of people sitting there waiting in the hospital room um, for free medicine that they, 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 they couldn't get because they had an emergency or something. Like, the doctors were always, would always help people out. Um, and that, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I might be wrong on that. Um, but I, I've, I've done a little bit of research on that in the past. Uh, Booker, he wants to pull away private insurance and he wants to give Medicare for all. He's all about Medicare, Medicare for all. But he actually took it back to Trump again. 
you know, he went right back to Donald Trump focusing on, you know, that Donald Trump was actually trying to take away your health care and that health care is a human right and all that. So, um, I don't know, all of them seem like they're for some kind of Medicare for all, though. It's just, that's what they, that's what they all are for Medicare for all. Um, in one way or another, they are. The only one that seemed like he was not is Joe Biden. He wants to f- build Obamacare and fix Obamacare. Uh, he says, Obamacare is working great, and we just need to fix it. Um, whatever. I mean, the federal government should be out of the health care business in the first place. They don't need to be involved in that. The best thing to fix health care, the best thing to fix um, health insurance is to make it so that the government stays out of it, you know? Like, the government gives tax breaks if you are, if, your gov- if your employer provides you with health insurance, so they have these group plans and all that. It's kind of become the most popular way to give people health insurance. But um, those tax breaks, I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I don't think... Ideally, there should be no taxes in the first place in, in my world, right? Uh, in, the like, the real libertarian world, there should be ways to, you know, limit taxes almost to the point where there's none. Um, and then some even say there should be none, right? But at least, uh, I mean, tax breaks are good to have for health care. But the thing is, is the government does not allow you to write off your health insurance if you provide it for yourself, right? So you have no way to get a group policy. Like, let's say a group policy among like you and your people in your neighborhood can't come together and get a group policy going. And then write it off. So it benefits you to keep it on your employer at all times and as much as possible. So government should just kind of get out of it. But that, that none of them people said anything about that. They just want more government control over it. So that sickens me. The next topic was immigration. So let's move on to that. I'm going to blow through some of these because they all kind of, you know, it. they all kind of have the same belief system. They all have the same nobody's differentiating themselves on a lot of these things. Immigration, all of them seem like they're in some ways open borders, right? Uh, The only one that said anything different was Joe Biden. He came out slightly rational about it. And you know how I feel. I mean, in some ways, you can have open borders if there was not, if there was no kind of, um, if there wasn't like a welfare state or anything like that, uh, I do think that people that are just coming here to work should be able to get into the country and work. I think that in that way, you should make it very easy. Like, hey, knocking on the door, I want a green card, I want to come work, let me go work, I can work legally. You know, as long as you're coming in. There should be no limits on that. Anyone that wants to come can work. That's what I, that's what I would say in that way. Um, maybe not citizenship right off the bat, but you should, but... Um, what Biden was saying is that when people cross the border illegally, I mean, it's illegal and they should send them back. And then all the other ones were like saying, kind of defending it, saying, no, we shouldn't send them back. And it really came down to the same thing as last time. All of them refer to them as asylum seekers rather than like as if every single person that comes to the border is an asylum seeker, right? When that is not the case. I mean, these people are just crossing to come work, they're crossing to get, you know, so they can make some money, they're crossing for illegal purposes and legal purposes, they're crossing for human trafficking, they're crossing for all kinds of reasons, there's hundreds of reasons why people would come here, right? And it's not all because they're seeking asylum, and they say, I think, like, by international law, economic reasons is not asylum anyway, so they don't have to like, if they're fleeing because of political reasons, they're being persecuted in their country, yeah, that's a different story. Like the Cuban refugees, the Dominican Republic refugees way back when. But if it's just an economic reason, I don't think that that is even a 
by international standards, a reason to have asylum in the first place. But I don't know the whole laws on that. I just think that all of them were kind of like, yeah, he's a, you know, we need to hold Trump accountable for imprisoning kids and all that stuff. And that it seemed like they all just, and especially Cory Booker, he said they should not detain, there should be no detention for people that cross the border whatsoever. People that come to, come to our country deserve human rights. Yeah, they do, do deserve human rights. That's true. Um, but he didn't seem like he would have even sent them back at all. You know, like anyone that comes, just come on in. And then some of them even seemed like they were still also for free medicine and all that stuff for all these people as well. I'm not sure exactly what their policies were. I just thought it was interesting uh, that Joe Biden was the only one that seemed like he was slightly rational in some ways on that particular issue. Um, but I don't know, like I said, from the libertarian perspective, I tend to be, lean towards letting as many people come over here and work as as wants. You know, I mean, it's free free trade within the labor world, right? And I kind of lean towards that. But you kind of got to see who's coming and all that. Uh, in some ways, I would imagine. Um, yeah, but anyway, so people love Obama, right? Especially Democrats. People loved Obama, especially Democrats. And that's one one of the notes that I took about this entire immigration debate. Um, but a lot of people are crapping all over Obama's immigration plan from the past, and Biden was defending it. So I think he wins on the perception of that issue that people would people will seek to defend Obama, especially the Democrats that loved him, right? And when Obama is standing with Barack or when Biden's standing with Barack Obama and defending his plans, then he's able to make it look like he's running with Obama as well. So I think he wins on that particular issue just because uh, everyone else was trying to poop all over uh, Obama's immigration plan, and then Biden was defending it. So that's a good thing. Uh, criminal justice reform, to be honest with you, I'm going to blow right through this one. The only person that said anything that I even cared about hearing was Cory Booker said that he sh that they, he thinks they should make marijuana legal and uh, that they shouldn't be held in prison for that and everything. Biden kind of said that they should have rehab for pr people that are on drugs and get busted with drugs rather than sending them to prison, sending them to rehab. I don't think the state should have the ability to send you anywhere just because you were doing drugs, right? Especially marijuana. I mean, come on. But Booker was the only person that related criminal justice reform to legalizing marijuana. Now, he didn't say that that would empty out the prisons. That He didn't say anything about a lot of the crime that would go down because of the marijuana trade not being, you know, on the black market anymore. Nobody related it to that like a libertarian might have. Uh, all the other ones were just like we, you know, these these little symptom fixes, these patches over certain problems, rather than getting rid of the the source of the problem, which is drug prohibition. You know, that's that's the main source of the problems with with crime. I mean, I think it's like sixty percent of people that are in prison are there because of some kind of drug related offense or a past drug related offense, in the sense of you know violating probation for a drug related offense. Um, Tulsi Gabbard actually hit Kamala Harris pretty hard. She said she actually, when she was questioned about this, she went after Harris big time. And I thought that was ballsy of her to do that. And I think this might have helped her to win some some voters. I'm not sure. But she said that uh, Harris locked up 1,500 people uh, for marijuana crimes and then laughed when she was, if she was asked that she smoked marijuana. And she went after him on that hard, man. And... Uh, I think Harris had to defend herself on it, but that's, I mean, I think Gabbard won that little conversation, as well as she also went after him with, with after Harris with another one, she said that um, 
Harris blocked evidence for people that were on death row. And if that evidence would have came to light, then they probably would have been uh, set free. And Harris actively went against that. And that's true. I mean, what, Harris was a prosecutor when she was in, when, in, when she was in California. She was a prosecuting attorney and she was also the attorney general. And a lot of times these people that are prosecutors, they just stand on the fact that I just want to win the case. I want to look hard on crime. I'm going to win the case. And when Harris, you know, when these prosecutors, they could see evidence that would exonerate somebody and they will not. They will do everything they can to make it not to come to light. And Gabbard won on that issue, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but then everyone else, everyone tried to hit Joe Biden on his past criminal history, where he he was the, he was signed on to a lot of these uh, criminal justice, being hard on crime laws that happened in like the 80s and 90s. Um, but he was able to defend himself on the stuff that he did in the Obama administration pretty well, I thought. Um, like, like I said, I think that he came in pretty well prepared for a lot of the, the, the things that might happen in this particular debate. So so they did the topic on the how, who's going to bridge the racial divide and all that. I mean, if you got rid of Donald Trump, he's the one that's kind of making a lot of this racial divide thing really what it was. If he loses, then that stuff's going to kind of go away because the Democrats will have no one to call racist anymore, essentially. Um, one of them did call Brock, or or no. Nah, call Trump a white supremacist, which was kind of a divisive term, I guess, but that is the way that they're trying to frame Brock, or frame uh, Donald Trump right now, is to frame him as somebody that is just a, a racist and a white supremacist and all that, because uh, every time that they he sends out any type of tweet, they try to have racial implications on it. Um, whether it is or not, I mean, some of the ones that he has sent out seem like they're pretty racist to me, but other ones, I mean, I think they're grasping at straws at some of those as well. Uh, Inslee, I thought it was funny, he was talking about um, he's never been black, or he's never been um, Hispanic, or he's never been gay, he's never been part of the LGBT, and then he was like, kind of forgot to say Q, but then he like, Pause for a second, then finally said Q as if he, like, if he didn't say Q, then he would have been called out as somebody that's not okay with, like, he's sexist against queer people or something like that, I don't know, um, so I think that it was funny that he did that, but he, he almost got tripped up, I just thought that was funny, because you have to be completely and utterly on top of your game when you're dealing with people that are, uh, you know, far left lunatics and stuff like that. Uh, you really have to be on top of your game and not offend anybody. And if you say LGBT and you forget to say Q, then they're going to call you out on it. What if you just said LGB and left out the T and the Q? Holy cow. And then you'd be crucified, possibly. So, oh, I thought that was interesting. Um, climate crisis, they talked about that as well. Um, they A couple of them tried to hit Joe Biden on not being hard enough on it. Inslee says that this is our single biggest issue, and it's the first thing that we need to do, and uh, we need to stop using fossil fuels in 10 years, and we need this plan, and Joe Biden's plan isn't good enough, and everyone else kind of agreed with Inslee on that. The thing that I, the, the notes that I took on this particular issue was this. When people say that everything we do needs to focus on the climate, Right. And then they passed the Green New Deal, which doesn't just deal with the climate issue, but it deals with jobs, it deals with infrastructure, it deals with all this stuff, right? And uh, they say we're going to guarantee jobs, people are going to, you know, s spend money on roads and bridges and da 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 da. Like they try to have a package that's going to do everything, when the real thing is is getting off of the 
off of the fossil fuels worldwide, essentially, right? So that means America needs to go and invade all these countries and stop them from using it as well. In some way, you could rationalize that. So the first thing we need to do is get off of fossil fuels, and that needs to be the number one thing that we're going to do. And uh, these people are very hypocritical when they say anything else, like, hey, we need to raise taxes. Hey, we need to provide Social Security. Hey, we need to provide Medicare. No, we need to take all that money from Medicare, Social Security, and uh, all the tax money and dump it into changing the world through this Green New Deal. And if that's the number one issue that we need to be focused on, and that's, if it's such a huge crisis... So it seems kind of hypocritical to me when they talk about anything else except for fixing the fixing the environment if that's the number one issue. And all of them seemed like they were on Inslee's side on that. All of them were pandering to that particular constituency um, rather than being a little bit more rational, I guess, um, which they need to do because from the climate perspective, America is like 10% of all pollution in the, in the world. Um, a lot of other countries need to do do their part as well, if that is the case. And, uh, you know, that that's where you need to have coalitions of countries that get together in some ways if you're going to fix that. I'm not sure how to fix it. I mean, from a libertarian perspective, it's very hard to deal with it because in that world, and, you know, if you're looking at it from a libertarian perspective, the air is just a giant commons for the entire world, right? The The atmosphere is just a huge commons. And we treat the commons like crap. We, that's just that's the tragedy of the commons. That's that's what it is. So there needs to be some way to maybe own the air. I don't know. I mean that 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 doesn't seem like a a, a possibility to be honest with you. So um, anyway, I don't want to get too far on from that. I just think that it is disingenuous for these people to say, oh yeah, we need to have Medicare for all. We need to have this. We need to have that. We need to spend trillions on everything else, and then the climate being the most important thing in their minds, and they're not going to spend any money on that, right? Um, then they got into the issue of who can beat Trump. Um, when I was looking at this man, I was just thinking to myself, the only person that really was up there that seems like they could really beat Trump is, is Joe Biden. In some ways, you might get somebody like, uh, Cory Booker that can beat him. But, the yeah, I mean, Cory Booker and Joe Biden came off pretty good tonight. Um, Yang, he went right to his smacker. Like, he says, I'm going to build a co- I'm building a coalition of disenfranchised Trump voters, millennials, libertarians, and then he went right back to his thousand smackers idea. Um, so, I mean, every question he got, he went back to the thousand smackers. Um, Gillibrand said that she could beat Trump just by focusing on his broken promises. Well, you know what? So can everybody else focus on the broken promises. That's not going to differentiate her at all. Um, Joe Biden says that he, you know, saved millions of jobs and during the financial crisis and everything else. And that that's going to give him a lot of credibility. It might. Who knows? Um, especially with people that believe that, you know... The government's so good and it could do all this stuff, right? Uh, but yeah, that that was it. On the economy, they really fully focused on the economy for like a, about two questions. They gave one to Castro, one to, one to Gabbard. Um, but actually, they gave one to Castro and that was it. And then from there, they s- turned straight over to uh, the trade, the trade issue. And, you know, are you going to lift the steel, steel tariffs and all that? But on the economy, they said the economy is doing pretty good. What are you going to do? And Castro actually made a good point. He says, you know, uh, the idea that America is doing this fine is wrong. There's a lot of people that are losing jobs and everything else. Um, economy perceived as good. I was talking to my sister about this the other day. The economy is perceived to be pretty good by a lot of people. If I go out there and talk to people about the economy, and I'm talking to different car dealers that I would talk to, I talk to different uh, people around my community, 
it seems like they feel like the economy is doing pretty good. So the perception is there that it's good. Whether it is good or not is a different story. People perceive that it's good, and uh, they're going to act in kind, right? So, But they got right off the economy immediately, because I don't think that's something that, that the uh, Democrats can run on is a strong economy. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for them, because I actually I do think it's a bad thing that they can't run, run on the economy. But you know what? If the economy starts to falter, if the economy starts to tank, over the next couple, you know, 18 months or so, then they will have a way to, to run on that particular issue. Topic eight, women's issues. Yang, they went straight to him. And you know, I guess, I bet she cannot guess what his plan for women was. And that is to give every woman and everyone a thousand bones. Boom, there you go. Thousand bucks, thousand bones. Go out and spend it. Uh, Harris said that she's she's going to find companies that don't pay women the same as men. Whew, really? I wonder how they would enforce that. I don't know. Uh, but you're going to find them if they don't pay women as much as men. Um, that would mean that would be very intrusive into a business to know exactly ex- exactly what every person's salary is and how much they pay them and all that. Um, seems very intrusive to me. I, I, I wouldn't get behind that. Um, and if you really look at it, the 76% cents on the dollar that women make versus men is uh, actually a very politicized number. It just takes all of men in America versus all women in America, divides it by their sal- how much each of them or how much they make total, and gives them a, a set number. So let's say men make $100,000 on average, and women make $76,000 on average if you average the entire total. But the reality is, is women are more likely to stay home with the kids. There's a lot of different things that are going on, women make different decisions, there's more female teachers, there's more more female nurses, um, women are more likely to make decisions based upon the potential that they might have to stay home with the kids at some point by, you know, because they're going to have kids and stuff. So there's just different reasons why women choose jobs versus why men choose jobs. That's just a fact in the world. And I think they say the real differentiation is like... Um, four or five percent or something like that when you really look at it so that could be just negotiating at that point there, there's been a couple of um i think it was freakonomics has done a couple of episodes on that particular issue so you might want to look that up sometime if you really want to know uh the last issue that they talked about finally and it shows what their real uh agenda or how how important they think that this issue is the last thing that they talked about was the anti-war issue um, are you going to bring the troops home in the first year? Booker said that he will not put a deadline on that, but he says, I will not uh, do my foreign policy suit tweets. But he won't put a deadline on it. Gabbard says, yes, we need to bring the, homes, the troops home in the first year. Uh, we should have never been there in the first place. I thought that was a great response. Um, and then they focused in on to Iran at that point. Um, the foreign co- policy conversation and the debate was actually way better than in last night's debate, I thought, just because they really kind of got into a lot of the stuff talking about Bush lying us into war, that the Bush administration really focused in on these weapons of mass destruction, it was wrong. Um, A few candidates even said that, you know, they've, I think it was Joe Biden even said that uh, he regrets voting for the war in in Iraq. Uh, So he's on record saying that. Uh, But I think that he has been on record for a while in saying that as well. And a lot of them, um, you know, agreed that they should have never been in Iraq. So I think that was a really constructive 
uh, conversation that it doesn't seem like Democrats have had in a while. So I think that that was actually good that that came out in that particular conversation. And that was only because Tulsi Gabbard talked about it and it became a centerpiece of that conversation because last night's debate did not get into all that stuff, you know. Uh, so I thought that was a good thing. Um, but yeah, so here's another note that I wrote down. It says, so they really did not focus on the economy very much, uh, because technically the, the, the economy seems to be doing pretty well, right? So yeah, they got right off the economy pretty fast. Uh, and that was when they finally got into the war stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, the war stuff, I mean, I think that's just, it, it went down pretty well. I thought that was pretty good. Um, that a lot of them, it seems like they're all on the page that you should, you know, get the troops out of Iraq, Afghanistan, and these foreign interventions and so forth, uh, which is a good thing, you know, which is a good thing. Um, it doesn't allow Tulsi Gabbard to really differentiate herself too much, but she has gotten the conversation going, which is awesome. So that's a good thing. At least it's on the debate. At least people are going to start seeing that stuff now as well. So, um, who's going to still be there after this debate? After this debate. So this is just going by the one tonight. Harris will still be on, you know, she's, she's going to be on the next debate stage. Biden's still going to be around. Uh, Harris was really flat tonight though. So I, she did not do herself any justice. She might, you know, actually fall in the polls now. Biden might start picking up in the polls a little bit. Uh, he did sufficiently good is what I said. He didn't harm himself. Um, but yeah, he's the one that was attacked the most and he was able to defend himself well. And I thought, uh, Booker, he felt, he seemed very confident. I actually think that he had the best performance because he went after Trump every time, not Biden, whereas everyone else is trying to go after Biden. Uh, Gabbard, I think that she might be there after this. She had a pretty good performance, I thought. She didn't have the best performance by any means. She had a much better performance than the last debate, and she came off as a little bit more reasonable from the Democrats' perspective, not from a libertarian perspective, because she wasn't really focusing on the uh, the anti-war issue too much. She was talking about like a lot of social issues, and I think that she came off way more reasonable uh, during this debate uh, from the Democratic perspective, like I said. Um, and she's good on the anti-war issue as well. I think she'll still be there. Uh, and I think the reason why she didn't focus on the anti-war thing is because she was just trying not to be a one-trick pony. Uh, Andrew Yang, I think that he'll be there as well. Um, he has the Yang gang behind him. They love him. And he didn't do bad. He didn't get a lot of speaking time, but uh, he didn't do necessarily bad during the debate. But who clearly lost? Who clearly lost? Michael Bennett, you guys know how I feel. It was hard to listen to him. Uh, I don't think that de Blasio is going to be there as well. Uh, next debate, he won't be there. Uh, I don't even think uh, Julian Castro is going to be there after that debate. He just doesn't seem very charismatic to me. He didn't seem very presidential. I don't know that it's going to. I don't know that he benefited by doing this debate. Uh, Gillibrand will be gone as well. Uh, she just did not do well. She came off flat. She tried to go after Biden and it flopped. Uh, she tried to go after him on this the whole women's issues thing and uh, it flopped. You know. She just couldn't get it out, and she couldn't get herself into this conversation with Biden and win it. Uh, he just kept going back. He kind of like ignored the 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 question and kind of told his stance. And like she was trying to say that he was against women being in the workforce, and then Biden's like, "My wife was in the workforce. What are you talking about?" You know. Uh, so, but she seemed very desperate to make something happen. And it just didn't happen. It's almost as if her like pre-debate team came up with this great plan to really get go after Biden and have that Harris moment, and then boom, it didn't work. You know, and she was just trying to, you know, beat that dead horse with it. Uh, and Inslee, Jay Inslee, will not be there. Uh, he's the Washington 
governor, and I just don't think that he did well. I mean, he he did okay, but he didn't do a good enough job highlighting himself as the governor of the Washington state. So I don't think that's going to be beneficial to him as well. I think he'll be gone. And then the last thing I want to talk about was uh, who can, who on that debate stage was perce- perceived to be able to beat Trump. Because that's one of the standards that, that's the most important thing to the Democrats, right, is who is perceived to beat Trump. And the person that is the from this debate who's the most perceived, the perceived that can beat Trump is going to be Joe Biden. I think that, uh, to be honest, like, he was able to do just well enough, he was able to defend himself well enough, that I think that people will perceive him that he could beat Donald Trump because of the way the polls are right now. The polls say that Biden can, Biden can beat Trump, and he didn't do a bad job in the debate. So I think that he's the winner because of that. Um, I don't know that Harris, I mean, she did not come off as the strong, confident woman that she did last time. I mean, I just didn't see it. She seemed flat to me. She seemed like she was stuttering. I mean, if she did as good as she did last debate, I would have said that she was the one that could be perceived to be Donald Trump. But at this point, I just saw a little bit of kink in her armor, you know? And uh, so, yeah. Joe Biden came out on top because of that. Cory Booker, I think, overall, the best performance. Uh, if you're looking at it from a like an objective standpoint, you know, as not a libertarian, but as a as a uh, just a person that's watching the debate, I think that you would say that Cory Booker kind of won. But I wonder what the pundits are saying. That's something we're following up on for the next couple of days, though, or the next day or so. Is I'm going to look at the pundits and see what they're saying, right? And then that'll have the Friday episode. Will allow you guys. That'll be tomorrow's episode. Will allow you guys to have my commentary on what the pundits said and the kind of like the wrap up of the debate week to let you guys know where I think that these polls are going to start going at this point and who's going to be the winners. All right, uh, but that's the debate. I appreciate you listening, guys. Uh, I you know I'm going to have this thing out for you first thing in the morning. I always do that. I try to make sure that. I'm one of the first podcasts that has a debate show out. And uh, so keep on coming back. Go ahead and subscribe to the show so you can hear the show tomorrow. Uh, go back and listen to some of my other shows as well, especially if you're listening, if it's your first time listening. I got 150 shows before this, so you can listen to some of those. I go over some of the topics of the, some of these candidates. I go over their positions. I go over uh, them individually. I also go over some libertarian topics and so forth. So uh, go ahead and check out some of my other shows as well. And then you can come on back tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020. Hey guys, I'm excited to announce the new podcast I'm coming out with called First Year in Sales with Ray Eaton. Now, if you're not a salesperson, then it might not be for you, but if you are a salesperson, or if you know another salesperson, go ahead and direct them towards this show. It's gonna be a show that is based upon helping somebody that's in their first year in sales, or maybe even somebody that is in sales already and just wants to brush up on some of the sales skills that they need in order to be successful. I'm focusing on habits and also different parts of the sales process in order to help people to become more successful in their sales job. So like I said, if you know somebody that's in sales or if you yourself are in sales, go ahead and check out this podcast. It's on all of your podcatchers, anything that you would listen to. And that is called First Year in Sales with Ray Ian.